Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, friends, if you have not been with us for the last few weeks, um, and you're a guest this morning, I hope that you have felt warmly welcomed by our church community, whether you are in body or whether you are tuned in digitally with us. Welcome. We are so glad to have you with us and that you have joined us. We are grateful for your presence with us. And we're doing the best we can in this season to, to welcome folks who are new. We know that, the, that even in COVID, there are people who are out there looking for and seeking out community through church, even if that, that seeking begins with the world of, of live streaming. And again, if you're a guest, over the last several weeks, we've been living in, in sort of what we call common time in the liturgical church, in, in the world of the lectionary, which is this yearly cycle of readings, three-year cycle, really, of readings that, that churches are invited across the world to to utilize in worship, to preach from, to use in their liturgy. We, we're taking a, a season here in the middle of the summer and we're, we're syncing up with these lectionary passages. And one of the neat things about the lectionary is because of the way that it rotates, every Sunday there, there's two Old Testament readings and there's generally two New Testament readings. And Megan Davis, when she preached and I was out of town on vacation, she offered us a word from one of the Psalms. And and Troy offered us a word from the, the Hebrew Bible. And last Sunday, we offered a word from one of the Gospels. And this Sunday, we bring a sermon from the Epistle reading. And Epistle is just a, an old school word for letter. And specifically, the way the Christians mean it is a letter written by an individual, most likely a leader of some level of influence to a broader community. And our reading this morning comes from the epistle of the Ephesians or to the Ephesians, and it is taken from chapter four. And tradition has it that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this ancient church community and that they received it as a community. So friends, I now invite you to stand for the reading of Holy Scripture from the book of Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse one. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But to each of us, to each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captive itself a captive and he gave gifts to his people. When it says, 
He ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown about by every doctrine, by every wind, by people's trickery, their craftiness and deceitful scheming. Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, I ask on this morning that as I preach, these words that I have prepared might become your word for your people in this time. God, may you speak through them and when necessary in spite of me. God, give us hearts to receive, give us ears to hear. God, may the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of our hearts indeed be good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer. All of this we pray in the strong name of Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. I don't know if you noticed this, but in our text this morning in Ephesians, it's very spatial. There's talk of ascending, and there's talk of descending, There's talk of bodies and ligaments, and there's talk of tossing to and fro by different winds of doctrine and crafty scheming. There's all of this imagery, and I almost wonder if you took this text and like put it to pictures, what it might look like if you followed it through in a visual sort of format. I'm a visual person. I often like to keep a a blank pad of white paper with me, and sometimes when I'm stuck on something, I'll sketch it out, and then if I can see it in a a sort of a a visual format, it begins to make sense for me. But the problem with with that, and, and I tried that a little bit this morning, well, not this morning, but for this morning as I prepared with this text throughout the week, but there's just so much going on in this passage. There's so much spatially that it would take a giant whiteboard to get all the imagery that Paul uses here in one place. And not to mention, he uses imagery that we don't understand because he uses imagery of the ascension. And and I don't know if you've ever taken a minute here or there to to really stop and think about the ascension, but liturgically every year, the the liturgical calendar brings Christians back to the ascension. it's, It's after Easter tide comes to a finish. It's right before Pentecost and essentially at the end of the Gospel of Luke and then again at the beginning of the Gospel or Gospel of Acts, the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke. There are these scenes where Jesus ascends 
and leaves the disciples. And in some ways, the ascension is a really strange and problematic and odd part of our liturgical calendar. You know, the idea, the question that I've been asked before is like, where, where did Jesus go in the ascension? And of course, you know, throwing in modern understandings of outer space in the fact that we're on a, a planet that's a, that's a cylinder spinning, you know, I, even I, spatial ideas of up and of down have much less meaning than maybe they once had in the ancient world. So we're left to, to kind of wrestle with this, this language of ascension and take a step back from it because I don't think we can be too literal in space and time with it because it's just not helpful. But instead we have to ask, what is the meaning, the truth that, that, that Paul and others are trying to teach with this story, with this image, amongst all of these images in our Ephesians text this morning, this image of the ascension. And as I was thinking about this, this idea of ascending, we're all Western Americans, we all are familiar with our culture, and we know, right, that ascending, climbing the corporate ladder, moving up, becoming the best, all of these are like sort of the water we drink, the air we breathe from, I mean, probably from the moment we can speak. We have this inward sense that, you know, you gotta try your hardest and become the best, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm gonna return to that in a minute, but I was thinking about that in, in sort of this moment of fatherhood, parenthood in which I find myself right now where we're, we're kind of working with our children and trying to, to think about with them, like where do they want to spend their time and their efforts, you know, beyond math homework and reading and, and the stuff that everybody has to do. And we've got two of our children taking piano lessons right now. And one of them seems to be enjoying it more than the other one. But the ironic thing about the, the other one who, who doesn't seem to be enjoying it is that he's actually doing really well. Like, he's, he's, he's quickly conquering the lessons. He can play the songs very well. His teacher's very complimentary, but he's just, he just doesn't feel like he's good at it. And it's kind of put me in this place of thinking about not just musical instruments with my kids, but also you know, things like sports and extracurriculars and clubs. And like for a while we tried the, boy, or yeah, the Cub Scouts and eventually realized that wasn't necessarily our thing. And we've tried different sports and, and some have resonated better than others. And if you're a parent in the room, you probably have experienced a little bit of this as well. And you sort of feel yourself in this place of, of coach or of mentor and, and trying to like help the kid think through it. And well, you know, are you sure you're not good at this? Maybe you just need a little bit more time or effort. Maybe you just need to spend some more with it. Or, or maybe like I was just never good at football and I wasn't gonna get good at football. And that was okay, because I'm not a huge person and football might've been bad for my health in the long run. So it's probably not a terrible thing, you know? And I was never gonna be a center for basketball. You know, I was a, a short point guard, if anything. And, and that's okay, and that's part of what we do as families and as humans, as we try to help one another figure out where we fit, where we're gifted, what makes sense, 
What do we enjoy? What don't we enjoy? I, I, I don't think that I'm unique in this, but I don't particularly like doing things that I'm really bad at. I, I find it frustrating. Maybe, maybe there are, are, are unique people in here and you just love doing the things that you're really, really bad at. But for me, I prefer to find those things that like, either I've gotten good at or I can kind of feel progress, right? And focus in those directions. And I feel good about the way I'm spending my time and my effort, but, but spending an entire day on something or a week or a season on something and then getting to the end of it and not feeling like you've made any ground and you're no better than you were at the beginning can feel a little like you're stuck in a black hole and you've just lost part of your life. It doesn't leave you with satisfaction, it leaves you with frustration. And seeing our children kind of working through this can be part of our job as parents. Trial, error, discernment, is it time to move on from this and try that? Or is it time to double down and to work harder? Maybe get a better teacher, maybe get a new instrument, maybe the old one isn't, isn't working well. But this growing up that Paul speaks of in the text this morning, he's speaking to it spiritually and to our, our relationship with God and with the Christ, but we also have to grow up just as humans in our bodies and in our minds and in our lives. And our children have to grow up. And as they do, there's a whole lot of trial and a whole lot of error and a whole lot of effort. And some of that effort goes in directions that ends up not being the, the way that they're gonna go. And how do we frame that and teach that that's part of it? That it's okay to try things that aren't gonna be your thing. Even if you didn't get better at it, you tried it and you eliminated it. And that's all right too. It's not all about being, as our culture wants to tell us, the very, very best at whatever we put our hands to, even though many of us want to be that. Because most of us aren't gonna be masters at every single thing to which we put our hand. There may be a couple of you in the room this morning who that is the case for, and if that is you, I am jealous of you, good for you. I am not that person, and when I find something that I'm relatively good at, I, I like kinda take it by the, take it by the horns and, and roll with it. But, but most of us, we're not gonna be masters across the board from the instruments we play to every sport that we touch to every business or vocational thing that we do, and that's okay. But how do we work with that at kind of this natural, normal level and how do we look at it as Paul's speaking of it in our text this morning? Because he's speaking of it not necessarily in the same way that I am as a parent with actual children who are growing up, but he's speaking to an ancient faith community. Probably the assumption is that they're adults who are together collectively seeking to follow after the Christ as a group. So he's telling adults essentially that they need to mature, that they need to grow. And I don't know about y'all, but like that's a, that can be a scary thing to tell a room of adults to grow up, right? I don't know if you ever tried to tell like your parents or your boss or something, don't tell your boss to grow up. It's a bad idea. But, but that's what Paul's doing here. And he says, we collectively have to grow up and 
Then he moves to this weird like liturgical reference because he puts it in quotation marks to talk about the ascension. And, and the way he does it, it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit odd, but he says that, that because Christ ascended, then he must have also descended if he ascended. And in the ascension, the Christ unleashed gifts for all of his followers, which is interesting. And again, Paul's quoting some kind of an ancient like Christian verse or lyric. Uh, we're not entirely sure where, where it comes from, but, but he's basically saying that there is, this, there is this belief within the church that the Christ ascended to the realm of God, and because of that, something happened. Something happened that impacts the way that we are able to become more mature, that we are actually able to grow up, to be, to be whatever is the next right thing, which is fascinating. But what, what I find really compelling about this is the way that, that Paul goes out of his way to like correct the verse, to correct this like ancient Christian saying that, that, that mentions Christ's ascension, but Paul's like, but if he ascended, he had to have also descended, and here's why that matters. Because if, if, if Christ descended, then it means that God's not just about upward mobility. God's not just about being the, the materially best or climbing the corporate ladder or being the, the master of this skill or that skill or the other. No, no, no. The Christ who, who we worship and understand to be God's presence among us, the Christ first descended. In fact, the whole story starts with a descent, not an uprising or an ascent. It starts with Advent and an unwed Jewish girl pregnant with, with little family support. A poor Jewish girl in the first century with child that's the descent of the beginning of the story. And then we look at Jesus' life and he doesn't get any of the, the regular advantages that, that sort of Jewish royalty would have had. We don't even know what happens to Joseph very early on. It's a story that begins incredibly, with incredible humility. And Jesus doesn't really rise in any sort of like conventional way. He becomes this itinerant rabbi, but he, he doesn't go through any of the normal rabbinic schools. He just like self-certifies and says that God was his certifier. That goes over well today, right? But then that's what he does. Like, we, who's Jesus' rabbi? Jesus, who was your rabbi? God, okay? How do you argue with that, right? And, and he gathers up this group of 12 disciples and teaches them this way. And ironically, the closest thing in many regards to Jesus' ascension is a Roman cross when he ascends on a cross, right? as the one executed by the empire for subverting Rome and subverting the political elites of his day. 
It's almost an ironic kind of ascension. Jesus, the Christ, he is every bit as good at descending as he is at ascending. In our story, our tradition, like this is who we are as a, as a people, as a faith. We're a people who are very comfortable with downward mobility. It's not to say upward mobility is bad all the time, but we can go either way, and we're, we're neither going to associate God's blessing or promise with one and not the other, or vice versa, because we believe that if Christ was the expression of God in the world and, and the Christ descended, then God is just as present in the valleys and the depths and the low points as God is up at the top of the ladder, right? And it also means that when we're talking about spiritual maturity, we need to to move the latter image entirely out from our minds because in the same text, Paul is saying, grow up, be mature, be spiritually mature people in this community. And, And the way you do that is by modeling yourself after a Christ who descends before ever ascending. In other words, Maturity doesn't mean necessarily like winning or like being super successful or being like a really, I don't know, by terms of what, what the broader culture looks at as, as a, a person to be modeled after. No. Most parents in the first century would not have looked at Jesus and told their children, go be like him. As he's hanging from a Roman tool of execution. WWJD, like, go to task with Rome and lose, is what it looked like. At least until Easter morning. There's so much irony and there's so much avoidance because we don't, we don't want to practice the instrument that's hard, that makes us not feel like we're winners. We want to practice or do the thing that is easier and makes us feel good about things, right? That's in our like, genetic reality, so why would we be surprised when we move it over to the level of our religious and spiritual and Christian lives that when things are really hard and awkward and make us uncomfortable and make us feel inadequate, we avoid them. We avoid them because of all the things I just said. I avoid them because I want to feel like a winner. I want to feel like I'm good at this. I want to feel like I'm becoming more sanctified or whatever language you want to use for growing up. But it's like Paul's saying, yeah, Jesus ascended, but he also descended, and both are part of the Christian life and process and experience. And you're gonna go down sometimes, you're gonna go up sometimes, and all of that is part of the maturation process. But what you cannot do, what you cannot do is nothing. Because that's the only way to neither ascend or descend, is to just stay still, to just retreat, to refuse to try anything to refuse to invest, to refuse to be active, to refuse to move yourself in one direction or another because you don't want to fail at something. And 
I think if we're trying, we're either going to be at some level either learning something about ourselves by attempting something hard that's not going well, or we're going to be learning about ourselves over here by doing something that's actually we're, we're grooving with and we're finding a rhythm with it. But at the end of the day, what Paul tells this ancient community in Ephesus is that in some way, the ascension was Jesus, the Christ, going to the realm of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit who had come at Pentecost, unleashing this, this basket of gifts, if you will. God is, is giving gifts to the humans on this planet who are seeking to be the hands and the feet of the Christ. And these, this giftedness, it's not something that you conjure up or that, that you work really, really hard to get to, but it's, it's this reality that God meets you because God is looking for willing humans to be the hands and the feet, the body, the physicality of the Christ in the world. Paul says that Jesus is the mind, that Christ is the mind and that we are called to be the body and that as we awkwardly sometimes try to step forth and be active in that, that the gifts of the Christ meet us and empower us and Sometimes the gift is to say, you're going in the wrong direction. Take a step back. Try this over here. Sometimes the gift is like, I never would have thought that I would come alive by being involved or doing that piece of the work within the church. But that like made me new and whole. But I think just like with my own children as they struggle to figure out what instrument, what sport, what extracurricular? Where do they fit? We, as mostly adults in this room, we need to hear Paul when he says grow up. And, and I think what he's saying, the first step in growing up is taking a step. You can't grow up if you don't do anything. And the church right here, friends, like we're, we're here as, as your playground, as your opportunity to get your hands dirty to get your feet wet, to try things, to be vulnerable, to serve in a way that you never thought you would serve before, to work with people you never thought you would work with before, to, to be exposed to those, those, that part of the human race that are under five years old and to love them and to see how that goes, to work with youth, to work with people on the margins, there's, there's so much, and Eastside's not unique in that we are in a stage of regathering and rebuilding and recasting, reassigning re and trying to figure out not only where, where sort of we need help, but to also figure out where you all are and how to, how to use your gifts within the body. But that only happens if we're both awkwardly struggling in both directions and willing to put ourselves out there and yourself out there as we're trying to, to do this dance together to figure out what it looks like for us to be this local body of the, of the Christ for East Atlanta. But if you're not moving, you're not gonna be ascending, you're not gonna be descending, you're gonna be static and nobody grows from just sitting unless you're meditating. But you can't meditate forever. You have to get up and do something after you meditate. 
And we're in a season, friends, where it's time for us to ask, what is the right next thing for me to do in participation with the body? Maybe so in the name of God, the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer. And everyone said, amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.